0: I've never been more motivated in my life as right now. The idea of objective truth disintegrating in front of us on all sides. I feel that I was called for such a time as this, so that's why I'm here. This
1: is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Rob Bluey, and that was Justin Sparks. He's devoted his life to public service, although he never expected to find himself representing his St. Louis community in the Missouri House of Representatives. After spending his entire professional career in law enforcement, this St. Louis native felt a calling from the Lord and a desire to make a bigger impact. So, last November, Sparks ran for office to represent District 110, which covers western St. Louis. Since taking office in January, he's emerged as a leader on top conservative priorities like reducing crime and fighting radical gender ideology. This husband and father of six took time from his busy schedule to talk about the policy debates playing out in Missouri and why he encourages other Americans to get involved. Stay tuned for our interview. After this, I'm Mark Giney from the Heritage Foundation, and we are very pleased to bring you the next chapter in the Heritage Explains podcast. Over the years, this show has been so loved by so many people, and we want to keep bringing you the insights into policy and current events that you've come to expect here, while updating the show with a new sound, a new format, and some new voices. Most notably, we're excited to upgrade this show from a one-off format, where we bring you different topics each week, to a serialized format, where we craft deep dives into hot button issues in the form of seasons, series of shows that focus the intellectual weight of the Heritage Foundation on one topic. First up, a six-episode series on the biggest existential threat to our nation right now, the Chinese Communist Party. Check out the new Heritage Explains wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined on The Daily Signal podcast by Representative Justin Sparks. He's a Republican who represents St. Louis County District 110 in the Missouri House of Representatives. Justin was first elected to a two-year term in November 2022. Justin, thanks so much for being with us on The Daily Signal podcast.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, you were introduced to me by a Daily Signal listener, by the name of Alan Mensch. And Alan is somebody who attends Grace Church, where he heard you speak. And I feel like the <laughs> Pastor Wes, who's been a guest on this show, has been uh, just no- nothing but uh, a-, a great provider of-, of several guests for us to talk to. And I'd like to start uh, with uh, some of the comments that you made there. Obviously, you're trying to shake things up, do things differently, and you bring a unique perspective to the Missouri House of Representatives. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history and uh, why you decided to run for office?
0: Sure. uh, Yeah, my background is a little bit different. Uh, I was in law enforcement for 15 years and I uh, a, became a sergeant. Most of my time was spent in the SWAT team and in special operations. I come from a family of law enforcement. My father, my uncle, my brother-in-law uh, lost his life in, in the line of duty. So it's a very deep felt uh, calling. We felt um, our whole family and I did as well. But as I went through my career and I saw the uh, kind of the demoralization and the, the attacks on the institution of law enforcement, I was really troubled. I was troubled seeing uh, the institutions in our, in our uh, country really suffering, um, and it started to trouble me, and I wanted to help in a bigger way. I felt a prompting, a calling, and uh, I didn't know what, it was, what, what that was going to look like. I talked to my wife we had no idea. We we definitely did not think it was going to be public office. <laughs> so what ended up happening was I prayed about it and I woke up one day and uh, I really, out of the blue, I know it sounds corny or whatever, but I felt that the Lord was saying, hey, listen, um, you're going to run for office. And uh, so I wish I said, I wish I could say that I had enough faith to to say, yeah, I was going to be a representative for, but I looked up how much money they make. They don't make very much money and I have six children. So I (laughs) I had no idea what it was going to look like, but um, we made a decision and uh, we told our family and uh, our immediate family and about five other people, Hey, I'm going to run for office. I don't know what office it's going to be exactly, but we're going to take a step forward. Let let the Lord guide us open doors or close doors. And uh, to be honest with you, nothing happened for six months, nothing happened. And I just figured I missed it. Uh, But six months later, one of those five people I talked to called me and said, the representative in your district is stepping down, and would you be willing to fill in, in in basically what was a special election? And I prayed about it, had 24 hours, prayed about it, the Lord opened the door, and here I sit. And I, I would just tell you, I've never been more motivated in my life as right now. The idea of objective truth disintegrating in front of us on all sides. Uh, I feel that I was called for such a time as this, and I feel like you are called for such a time as this to do exactly what you're doing. And everybody that hears our voice today has a job to do. So that's why I'm here.
1: Well, Justin, thanks so much for, for explaining that. I, I, I want to get into some of the issues that you're working on and, and those motivations that you, you've talked about. What was it like for your family to make this decision? I mean, so many people, I think, are scared from public office because of the scrutiny that comes with it. Obviously, the biased news media and the attention that, uh, you know, is, is uh, the light that shined on, on your personal lives. Uh, how did your family grapple with that? And w- as you were praying, uh, why did you ultimately decide that this was uh, the path that you wanted to take?
0: That's a great question. And you're right. It is an unpleasant experience. Uh, First of all, you know, nobody wants to be labeled a racist or a bigot. Nobody wants to be called things or lied about. And all of those things have happened in a very short period of time. Now, I'm not stupid. And frankly, I understand. And and, uh, (laughs) I, I know that that's part of this. And I think my experience in law enforcement really, <laughs> I don't know, gave me a thick skin, uh, prepared me for this because uh, I definitely am a different type of representative. I've noticed that. And, and in, in a good way, you know, and my, my fellow representatives, they, they, they tease me a lot because they say, well, you are not anything, you are completely different. But it's because, you know, I was there in 2014 um, on the front lines when Michael Brown was killed. And in Ferguson, Missouri, if you're familiar with, with that incident, and I've, trust me, been subjected to, to some terrible things. So, you know, your your experience in law enforcement, when you have to go through a door to arrest a murderer who is has uh, stated that he's going to kill anybody that comes through the door, and you have to go through that door and you have to take him into custody with with their fellow officers, I don't know, going, going to the Capitol and engaging in these issues in, that, in a different type of battle... Uh, It didn't intimidate me and I I enjoy it because I know that I'm being called and fulfilling a role to engage in a new type of battle. And and it's a battle that every single person um, hopefully can find a way to contribute to in their own life.
1: Well, I know that those law enforcement issues have played a big role in your life as you talk about, but also the St. Louis community. We've had Eli Steele uh, speak to the Daily Signal. He's the producer of a documentary called uh, What Killed Michael Brown. And I want to spend a few moments on that. I know that this has been a focus of yours in terms of the legislation that uh, you've, you've sponsored in the Missouri House of Representatives. But, but tell us, as we think about the situation that is confronting so many communities across the country, and that's this increase in crime, uh, what is it like there? And uh, what can you as an elected representative do to address the challenges?
0: So crime crime is a terrible problem across the country. And it is my conviction that, that the genesis of this problem began, or at least was revealed in some unique way in 2014, um, uh, with Ferguson. This is really where black lives matter as an organization found its voice. And, uh, if you remember the former, the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey was on the streets in Ferguson. Um, I'll I'll tell you this. We knew as police officers and SWAT officers that something, the dynamic had completely changed. We knew that we were never going back. Um, and I was troubled by it. I still am. The roots of defund the police uh, were very evident. Uh, I remember people like Don Lemon from CNN coming in. I remember... The uh, And the comments he made. And I remember a reporter from USA Today riding in our armored vehicle with us all night long, witnessing uh, being shot at, witnessing what was going on uh, firsthand. And I remember pleading with him, uh, what are you going to say to your paper, to your bosses tomorrow morning? And he said, I promise you, I'm going to tell them everything that I saw here tonight. And I bet none of it makes it into the news. He told me that. And I knew... Right then and there, wow, we're facing something different. We're not facing the truth, right? We're not facing objective truth anymore of you say your side, report the facts, let the viewer decide. We we are truly facing something deeper and darker, in my opinion, of controlling a narrative, of attempting to produce and control a narrative and an agenda, a hidden agenda that, in my opinion, is becoming much more uh, obvious. So, yes, in St. Louis, we have uh, quite an increase in violent crime. And because of my, my background in, in law enforcement, I really wanted to try to do something about that. But it's deeper than that. It's just not just crime. Crime is affecting uh, most of our major urban cores. And there's various reasons. We could talk all day. On those, uh, on some of those reasons, uh, fatherlessness and and what and obviously the deep impact that has on families and community, but it's it's more than that. In St. Louis, we have a, a George Soros-funded prosecutor named Kim Gardner, and I have direct, uh, obviously direct experience working with her office um, and other prosecutors in the region, and. The difference between working with a George Soros funded prosecutor and a prosecutor that is actually trying to do his or her job is night and day. And that's what we're facing. We're facing basically uh, a prosecutor that either can't do her job or refuses to do her job or some kind of combination of both. And it's my opinion that she looks, she looks through everything through the prism of race. Um, and there's people all over the country that are doing this now. Um, and I didn't coin this t- term and I'm trying to remember who did, but it's, it's, uh, the term of racialist, not racist, but racialist looking through everything through the prism of race. We see this everywhere. Now, the problem when you're doing something like this, when you're a prosecutor or in police work. Is you're not focused on the mission. The mission of a prosecutor should be to take the cases the police bring to you, look at them objectively, and try to get justice for these families, right? And when you're focused on more things like, well, uh, you know, a certain minority group has been targeted and their incarceration rates are so much higher because they've simply been targeted by white supremacist police officers. Number one isn't true, isn't even close to accurate, but that's the narrative. And then you start making decisions as a prosecutor that the police are the enemy and the violent criminals are the ones that you're trying to help. And I wish it wasn't the case, but that's the conclusion that I've come to both with personal experience with that office and through the statements and actions um, since being in the legislature that's what we're facing and unfortunately the perception is that St. Louis is a failed city an extremely violent region right and when you have businesses that are looking to uh, invest in your community they look at St. Louis and they say why in the world would we ever bring in economic investment to St. Louis when not only is there a violent crime but there's no prosecution of violent criminals the violent criminals are being released And finally, being part of the state legislature, it's part of the reason I believe I was called to be there, is that we realize that when your major urban cores suffer like this, and they have prosecutors like this, that it affects the rest of the state. And so we've decided to do something about it. And thankfully, our Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, has also decided to do something about it and is actively trying to remove her from her role.
1: Let me ask you this. I, I know that you are sponsoring several pieces of legislation that would address the crime issue and, and specifically the St. Louis uh, situation. Can you speak to what those are and maybe if they're a model for other communities or other state legislatures to consider as well?
0: Sure. So essentially what we've done is we've passed legislation that has uh, will establish once passed by the governor. Um, Will establish uh, an independent prosecutor for the St. Louis, for the city of St. Louis, which will take over sole jurisdiction of uh, the prosecution of violent crimes in the city. So it will remove those that responsibility from the circuit attorney's office in St. Louis City, and that's twofold. Not only will violent crime begin to be prosecuted and adjudicated, but no longer will the circuit attorney's office be able to target law enforcement officers uh, in the execution of their duties. Meaning if a police officer gets into a a deadly shooting, a line of duty shooting, the circuit attorney is no longer going to be able to target those police officers because the independent prosecutor is going to have the, the sole jurisdiction over those matters. And that's a big deal because this movement has affected law enforcement in such a significant way that we are seeing a mass exodus, a mass exodus from police departments like the city of St. Louis Police Department. Many officers who I've known for so many years, and many have already left, and many more considering to do so because of what's going on. They know that they're targeted, and frankly, they are concerned that if they do their job to the very best of their ability, that... Not only will they be second-guessed, but they'll be prosecuted. And this is a theme that we're seeing in cities all across the country. So by putting an independent prosecutor in the city of St. Louis, we can try to mitigate that, and I hope to do so. Also, another piece of legislation is removing the control of the police department from the city of St. Louis elected officials and give it back to a board that's appointed by the governor of the state of Missouri. Now, this board is still residents of the city of St. Louis, and elected officials still have a say on that board, but they no longer have control over the administration of the city police department. And that's important because what we've seen is we've seen just like woke institutions all across the country, right, Um, wokeness has infected everything in the private sector, but it's also infected everything in the public sector. Uh, our military branches are a perfect example of that. And the police department is no different. And when I first started in law enforcement, politics was expressly prohibited. Politics, anything political, was prohibited because it didn't matter what color, creed, or race you were, or even political party, your persuasion. Your mission was to, the equal application of the law, to do the very best you could um, and to administer justice. And that is no longer the case. Politics is, is in the middle of the police department. So what we're trying to do by removing the administration of the police department from the city and give it back to the state, a state appointed board, is to try to put a barrier again between the police department and politics. So the the rank and file officers know, I can go out, I can enforce the law, I can do my job and protect and serve the citizens of St. Louis without having something over my shoulder of a political nature.
1: Well, Justin, thank you for the leadership you're providing on on those issues. And I know that It'll be uh, not only important in in your own state and and the city of St. Louis, but hopefully an inspiration for for others. I want to shift to a different topic, one that is also on the minds of many Daily Signal listeners, and that's the issue of, of, of gender identity. And you are the sponsor of Missouri's Children Deserve Help, Not Harm Act. Tell us what it does and why that is an issue that you've decided to champion.
0: Well, thank you for the question. I never thought that we would ever have to legislate on this issue, frankly. But this is where we find ourselves. We have seen a 4,000% increase in people identifying as transgender. Now, I understand that a lot of folks do not know or are not familiar with this topic, although it is becoming very quickly in the mainstream. But we're talking about gender dysphoria, which is a mental illness. By It's, it's essentially thinking that you are in the wrong body that you are in the, the wrong gender, basically a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. And what we have seen in this huge increase among children identifying as transgender is a completely different approach to this mental illness. Meaning, when a child says, maybe I'm transgendered, in the past, Medical professionals, school counselors, parents would say, well, let's analyze this. Let's see why you're feeling this way, right? Let's talk about this. Instead, now, the, we've learned that the approach has been to affirm that decision, meaning, yes, you are transgendered if you feel this way. You are transgendered. And the immediate um, application of therapies that include cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers, or and including uh, mastectomies for females, uh, which is called top surgery or bottom surgery. So permanent life-altering surgeries with the uh, addition of these hormones that obviously uh, can cause sterility. It's chemical castration, frankly, and this is being done to minors. And I have had personal experience now speaking to uh, kids that have gone through this that at 15 or 16 years old had their breasts removed and have gone on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones um, and are permanently altered, uh, quite possibly permanently sterile, and can no longer nurse their children if they were ever to have children one day. So as children, having life-altering, destructive mutilating surgeries frankly on on otherwise healthy physically healthy bodies when i talk to these people these kids tell me at 13 or 14 years old nobody ever told me i was not going to be able to have children one day and that i wasn't going to be able to nurse my children because that's no longer physically possible and yet here we are and so what we've done by introducing bills, I'm one of three in the House and in the Senate, uh, is is to prohibit surgery, transgender surgery, and cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers. And also, you know, the, these chemicals, these, these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, one of them is called Lupron. It's chemotherapy. It's a cancer drug. It is not FDA approved for this, but... That's exactly what it's being used to do, to block the hormone development in these children, um, which permanently alters them and infects every cell of their body. Frankly, I can't believe that we have to legislate it, that, that we have to pass laws to prohibit this, that any doctor in America today would look at this as a good idea. And frankly, it's a, it's a horrific idea, and the numbers are obvious. The data is so clear We have data that shows that after these kids transition, they complete this transition um, that they think is going to help them feel better, that their suicide rates are 19 times higher than their peers. We've seen therapies and surgeries uh, uh, affirming care like this in Europe has all been halted. We've seen it halted in Sweden, in Finland, in the UK for children under 18. In the UK, the Tavistock Center no longer allows this type of therapy for underage, for minors, because they have over a thousand pending lawsuits. What we're seeing is there's a social contagion aspect to this of kids wanting desperately to be in uh, accepted in a in a uh, a social group that is kind of the hip, interesting thing, and they start to get on these uh, chemicals. And puberty blockers cross sex hormones and even have surgeries and then as they mature they want to go back they want to detransition and there's no remedy for them now it's permanent and so what we're trying to do in missouri is prohibit that and other states have taken up the gauntlet and uh, i'm not even going to tell you how unpleasant it is because you're called every name in the book but this is the battle worth fighting
1: I imagine you are. And as a parent of six and myself a parent of three, I know how pervasive it is in our culture today and in our schools in particular. And so parents really need to be on the watch for wherever uh, their kids are. I mean, and particularly the social media platforms. I mean, you cannot escape these types of things in today's society. So, Justin, I, I ask you this question. We, we talked earlier about your own decision to, to run for office. What advice do you have for other parents, other concerned citizens, maybe in your state or across this country, who feel motivated to do something? What 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 steps should they be taking right now to get involved and make a difference?
0: What a great question, Rob. I, I hope and I pray that every single person listening to my voice prayerfully considers what it is the Lord would have you do, because he will have you do something, I promise you. And, you know, being a good Patriot and on election day, going and voting is not enough. It's not enough. We are on the knife's edge in our country. And if we all don't join together and give everything, every single thing that we possibly can do, maximum effort right here and now, it is my conviction that we're going to wake up one day and we will have lost the Republic. It has, I didn't ask for this, frankly, our generation didn't ask for this, but yet here we are. It has come to us. You know, there is an existential threat to the future of our nation and the republic that is so precious. It has come to us. And, you know, it's like the Spirit of the Lord goes to and fro looking for whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I encourage every single one of you listening to me, stand up and just simply say, here am I, Lord, send me. I am willing. You know, at Grace Church, I said, Um, I really feel like there were better candidates than me. There were better people, smarter people, people with doctorates, you know, uh, people that have gone to Ivy League universities, you know, who would want a SWAT officer, right? Uh, And you you wouldn't believe how much uh, I took for that on Twitter, you know, uh, on on my Democratic friends, my Democrat friends uh, saying – I can't believe this person relies on the guidance and direction of God, with a little G. And I, I immediately responded to that and put it on social media and said, I absolutely do. <laughs> I am proud of the fact that yes, my worldview is fundamentally different from theirs. Okay, but it's not enough to simply say oh, my goodness, look at what's going on in the world. I'm going to make sure I vote. Yes, of course we have to vote. We have to vote in every single local election, school board election, city council, county council, aldermen. But it's more than that. It's how can you serve? How can you do something? Whether it's contributing with your money, whether it's contributing with your time by walking in neighborhoods and passing out literature, or more simply than this, if you want to know what you can do, I'll tell you what it is. You can start having uncomfortable conversations. And having conversations not aggressively, you know, obnoxiously, or out of a place of anger or hate, but out of a place of where it truly comes from, which is love. Love for your fellow man and woman, love for your nation, love for your children and their future, and when people see that you are authentic, that you truly do care about them, you you may disagree on everything. The one thing that you won't disagree on is that you care. You care and you love them enough, as the Lord has called us to love our fellow neighbor, that you love them enough to fight for our country, the future of our country, and frankly, to have these conversations with every single person that you meet and every single opportunity that comes your way. Simply Speak.
1: Representative Justin Sparks, those are inspiring words. We'll leave it at that. How can our listeners follow you, support the work that you're doing?
0: Sparksformissouri.com. I'm on Instagram, Sparks for Missouri on Instagram and, and Facebook, State Representative Justin Sparks. And uh, you can catch up with me that way. And more importantly, pray for me. Pray for everybody that has entered into this arena and has, and has elected to serve because it is a sacrifice, but we're happy to do it, and uh, I'm happy to do it, and I'm honored and privileged.
1: Well, Representative Sparks, thanks again for the time that you've spent with The Daily Signal. We certainly will be praying for you and look forward to keeping in touch with you and following on the various bills that you're pushing through Missouri there. Uh, Best wishes with everything, and let's keep in touch.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, sir.
1: And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had a chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts. And help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. We'll be back with you at 5 p.m. for our top news edition.